This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Today, we're going to begin a new series. It's going to be a three-week series, uh, sort of culminating with our dedication Sunday on September the 20th, and I'm calling this series, Be Thou Our Vision. I think it's appropriate as we move towards this huge historic day in the life of our church that we revisit some of the passages that talk about God's purpose for His church. And so we're going to be doing that today and for the next couple of weeks. And we begin today in 2 Corinthians 4, which is all about the glory of Christ. Our ultimate purpose as a church is to glorify Christ. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 6, and if you'll follow along with me. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, this veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as you continue to shape us as a church family, that you would form us into more and more of a body that is all about the glory of our Savior. Lord, we we seek not to build our own kingdom but to advance the cause of Christ and his kingdom. May Christ be lifted up and honored as you form us and shape us as as a God-centered, gospel-centered, Christ-glorifying body of believers. Speak to us now, we pray, through your word, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week... Uh, Melissa and I were, were looking at some, some pictures and some videos of our three kids from about three years ago. And uh, wow, <laughs> that was kind of scary because, you know, as parents, you know changes are happening in them, but, you know, you're, you're living with them every day. And so it, you have to kind of look back at a, at a photo or a video just to see how enormous those physical changes have been. It's kind of the way it is with parents. And it's kind of that way with, 
with pastors as well when it comes to the church because, you know, we're in the church day by day and we know change is happening, we know God is, is, is doing good things, but it's, it's incremental, you know, it's, it's an everyday thing. And, and sometimes it's helpful just to sort of step back and to, and to look at kind of where you were and, and where you are. And as we move toward Dedication Day on the 20th, it's been sort of a time like that for me, just sort of thinking about my journey with you so far um, as, as pastor and just it's been helpful, really, to, you know, to, to think back, okay, here's, here's where we were, here's where we are, to God be the glory, you know, for what he's, he's done. It's been a great time of thanksgiving uh, in, in my life to, to kind of think about that. You know, in 2012, we realized as a church that we needed to address our our building, our facilities. We knew that we had to make renovations and additions in order to position ourselves to reach the next generation and to reach people in the 21st century. In 2015, by God's grace and for his glory, we're getting ready to dedicate those renovations and additions to the Lord. In 2012, I was really excited to come home and to pastor my home church, um, but I also knew that I was going to need a lot of help. And it's now in 2015, it's just wonderful to look and see how God has brought a wonderful team together, both in our staff and with our, our lay leaders, and just how God has just put people in place. It's been kind of a, a beautiful thing to, to think about. In 2012, our church family had been through a really difficult period and a lot of healing, a lot of unity needed to take place. And now in 2015, we stand together as a body of believers that is one in love and in purpose. Um, To God be the glory. And we're going to talk about that purpose for the next few weeks together. What's our purpose as a church? Now, that's not something that we get to invent, right? Because all we can do is look at God's word and see what God has told us that the purpose of the church is. That's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. During the spring and summer, our staff really took some extra time and just sort of dug in together and, and looked at the scriptures. And, and we tried to say, you know, if we, if we put this together... You know, God's purposes for his church, maybe it would be helpful if we could just kind of nail that down in, in, a, in a short, clear, succinct statement. And the, the statement that he really burned on our hearts, and I've shared it with our deacons, and I'm looking forward to sharing it and unpacking it with you over the next few weeks, was this, to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. Now, there are three parts to that statement. The first part, which we'll talk about today, is to glorify Christ. That's the the what of our ultimate purpose. Our ultimate purpose is the glory of Christ, which we're going to talk about from 2 Corinthians 4 in just a moment. That's the what How do we do that? Well, we do that by making disciples. 
That's the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28. That's, that's Jesus' marching orders to the church. The imperative command in Matthew 28:19 is make disciples. And we want to make reproducing disciples, making disciples who make disciples. That's the, that's the how. And then the third part is the where. Where has God called this church to do that? He's called us to do it in our community and around the world. And so, so on September the 20th, we're going to talk about that as we, as we dedicate these facilities to the Lord we're going to talk about that vision for the community and for the world. But today, we're going to talk about our ultimate purpose, which is the glory of Christ. What does it mean to be a gospel-centered, Christ-honoring, Christ-glorifying body of believers? We see that here in 2 Corinthians 4. First of all, Paul here is talking about the integrity of a Christ-glorifying church. The integrity of a Christ-glorifying church. He says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So, in verse 2, Paul talks about three practices that we are to have nothing to do with, and then he talks about one practice that we are to be all about. First, he says that we are to have nothing to do with disgraceful, underhanded ways. In the NIV, it translates that as, as secret and shameful ways. Literally in Greek, it means the hidden things of shame. How many ministries have been brought down you know, by uh, some uh, scandal? In a way, it's unfair because we know that the vast majority of ministries are, are not like that. Um, it's kind of like, you know, every day around the world, you have thousands of commercial airliners that take off and that land. That is not news. But if just one of those jets falls to the earth, it makes the headlines of every newspaper in the world. Why? Because just one is too much. And just one ministry going down is too much. One that has never gone down is, is that of Billy Graham, and perhaps that's by design. In October of 1948, before anyone had ever heard of them, Billy Graham and his inner circle of colleagues got together in a hotel room in Modesto, California, and they made a list of the breaches of integrity that had brought down various ministries. And they came together and they, they formed what they called the Modesto Manifesto. And they sort of drove four stakes into the ground that day regarding the integrity of their ministry. The first had to do with money. They said that we want, our, we want our ministry to be characterized by just completely upfront and above board dealings with finances. The second was about sex. They said, you know what, 
Uh, it would be impossible for us to commit adultery if we were never alone with a woman besides our wives. And so they determined that that would be characteristic of their ministry. The third was that they were going to assist local pastors uh, and seek to build up local churches rather than harming them. And the fourth was that they were going to be scrupulously accurate in regard to the reporting of statistics. And through the years, Billy Graham has been criticized for lots of things, but um, not for breaches of integrity, not for uh, disgraceful, underhanded ways. We have nothing to do with that. Second, Paul says here in verse 2 that, uh, that we refuse to practice cunning. He's talking about deception. In the first century, there were lots of charlatans, false teachers who were going around and teaching false doctrine to serve their own selfish ends. Unfortunately, that is the case in the 21st century as well. Just turn on your TV and you can see any number of charlatans and false teachers uh, who prey on the ignorant and the gullible and the biblically illiterate and who will say, you know what, if you want health and wealth and prosperity to be yours, you know, you just send money to my ministry and you can have it. It is deceptive. It is false teaching. It is cunning. And we are to utterly renounce anything that has to do with that. Third, he says in verse 2 that we refuse to tamper with God's word. Now, this can be done in multiple ways. We could tamper with God's word by subtracting from it, by taking away from it, by refusing to teach and preach what is clearly taught there. Theological liberalism is traditionally associated with taking away from God's word. And it's been so saddening since the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage a couple of months ago to see ministries uh, that should know a lot better trying to essentially say, well, you know, maybe Romans 1 and these other passages really don't mean what they really clearly say. That's tampering with God's word. That's taking away from it. But you know what? We could also tamper with God's word by adding to it. Um, that's kind of associated with a lot of extreme fundamentalism, um, attaching dozens of rules and regulations that are not in the Bible and teaching them as if they were in the Bible. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. That's tampering with God's word by adding to it. You could also tamper with God's word through imbalance. And that is, you know, in a ministry, a teacher or a preacher sort of rides a favorite hobby horse, you know, week after week. And so people are really not getting a, a balanced diet of the scriptures. The practice that guards against all of those things is the one thing that he says here in verse 2 that we are to be all about, and that is the open statement of the truth. The open statement of the truth. As the NIV puts it, setting forth the truth 
plainly. This is what expository preaching and teaching is all about, which is one of our core values at First Baptist. The goal in expository preaching is to simply open up the text so that what people are hearing is a word from God. Digging into the, the scripture so that we, we understand what the scripture is saying, we understand it in, in, its, in its context, and we're understanding the original meaning that God had in that text, and we're simply trying to, to open that up and to set forth that truth plainly. The preacher in expository preaching is not so much a chef that is sort of putting together the meal as simply a humble waiter that is serving what God has already prepared. And not so much writing anything, but sort of like the job of the postman, and that is to, to safely, accurately, faithfully deliver what has already been written. That's the goal in expositional preaching and teaching. And if we're going to make disciples who make disciples, expository preaching has to be at the heart of that. That's the integrity of a Christ-glorifying church. Second, we see something here about the challenge of a Christ-glorifying church. What is our biggest challenge in seeking to reach people for Christ well, there are all kinds of challenges. I mean, you know, one challenge is that we need more Christians that are out there sharing the good news of the gospel with the people that they work with and their neighbors and their friends. Um, we need more gospel sharers today. The average Christian uh, in our culture today, at least in America, is, is, is not really sharing their faith um, openly and 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 often and so you know that's that's certainly a challenge because uh, god brings people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel and so certainly uh, that's that's a challenge in reaching people we have to get more christians sharing the gospel another would be we have to get christians that are that are living out the faith that they profess because if we're not living it out then we're not assisting the cause of the gospel. We're actually undermining the cause of the gospel. But suppose we're trying our best in both of those areas. You know, suppose we're, we're trying to be a faithful witness for Christ uh, as he gives opportunity as much as we can in our everyday lives. Suppose that, you know, we're seeking to, we're seeking to live uh, holy lives. Um, what is our biggest challenge in, in that case? It's the spiritual condition of lost people. And so Paul says here in verses 3 and 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul here is talking about the spiritual condition of those who are outside of Christ. He says that they're spiritually blind. You know, the light is there, but they can't see it because of their spiritual blindness. And he refers here to the God of this world. That's Satan. There's a supernatural enemy 
who blinds people spiritually. Fortunately, we have a supernatural ally who's a lot more powerful than our supernatural enemy. And our supernatural ally, the Holy Spirit, is able to open eyes and open hearts to see the light of Jesus and to trust Him. Now, Paul knew all about this. Uh, He knew what it was like to be blind on the road to uh, Damascus um, as the light shone and the risen Christ appeared to Paul. What happens after that? He's led into Damascus. A man named Ananias uh, comes to him and he shares the truth with him. And Paul in Acts 9.18 tells us what happened at that point. He says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Um, in Ephesians 2.1, Paul uses an even more, uh, even a stronger metaphor to talk about the spiritual, our spiritual condition before we met Christ. He says in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So spiritually blind, spiritually dead. Fortunately, we have a God who specializes in resurrection. And we just saw a picture of that in Christian baptism, didn't we? Paul refers to that in Romans 6, 4, when he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is what is pictured in baptism. That we are united to a Savior who was crucified, buried, and risen. And that has happened in our lives as well. We have been given new life. The old is buried. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. God gives new life. God raises people from the dead spiritually. He causes the the, the scales of blindness to fall from their eyes so that they, they see who Jesus is. And they're able to turn to him and, and trust him. Um, but remember, how does he do that? He doesn't do it through osmosis. He does it through the proclamation of the gospel. Just as God has ordained the ends, he has also ordained the means. And the means of people coming to Christ is the proclamation of the good news. You know, and so part of the vision of our church needs to be that God is, is forming us more and more, not into an audience, but an army of people that are out there every day sharing the good news of Jesus and their circle of, of influence. The integrity of a, God, a Christ-glorifying church, the challenge of a Christ-glorifying church, third, the focus of a Christ-glorifying church. What is our focus? Verses 5 and 6. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a self-effacing 
aspect to a Christ-glorifying church. Rather than sort of being showy or pointing to ourselves, our task is to show off Christ. Our task is to point away from ourselves to Jesus. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. We spoke of Billy Graham a few minutes ago, and I happened to be at the Southern Baptist Convention the year when Billy Graham preached to the convention for the final time. And he told, I'll never forget, he told a funny story about something that happened to him in an elevator one day. This was at a time, and if some of you, if you're really young, you don't know this, but there was a time when Billy Graham was probably the most famous person in America. And so along in those years, one day he gets on an elevator and a, a man sees him get on and, you know, he kind of takes a moment. He says, you're Billy Graham, aren't you? <laughs> and Dr. Graham said, well, well, yes, I am. And the guy looked at him for a moment and he said, wow, what an, what an anticlimax. <laughs> you know? And, you know, Billy Graham was just an ordinary guy with a message about an extraordinary savior. Um, and even after he became famous, you really got the feeling that, you know, it, it wasn't about him, that it was about the message, the message that he was speaking. Um, that's not the vibe that I get from a lot of ministries today in our evangelical uh, world. Um, you know, we live in a time of mega churches and celebrity pastors and evangelical superstars, and we're really good at drawing big crowds. But are we making a big impact on this secular culture of ours? You know, we would do a lot better if our focus was on making Jesus more famous. Not ourselves. Isaiah 26, 8 says this, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. In other words, our focus is on making Christ more famous, on highlighting him, his name, his renown should be our passion and our ultimate purpose as a church. You know, what lost people desperately need to see is Jesus and not us. Because Jesus says in John 12:32, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And Jesus here is talking about being lifted up on the cross. As a church, we are called to lift up that message of the cross. To constantly lift up the gospel. To keep the main thing the main thing. That's the gospel. Lift up Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to draw people to the Savior. And when people are drawn to the Savior, what happens? New creation. New creation. Uh, what does Paul say here in verse 6? He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this last week, but always remember, when you're reading Paul, just remember his Jewishness. He's, he's constantly, um, the, the Old Testament is running through his mind and heart all the time. What Old Testament text is Paul alluding to clearly here in verse 6? It's, it's creation, right? G- Genesis 3.1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's creation. What Paul is, is saying here is that when, when someone comes to know the Savior, new creation is what happens. The light penetrates the darkness. People see the light of Christ New creation happens when people come to know the Savior. That's what he says in in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the new life that you give in, in Christ. We thank you that we can begin again. We thank you that the slate can be wiped clean. We thank you for the, the forgiveness that you give us in Christ. We thank you for um, the, the fact that when you, you make us right with yourself, that the, the perfect merits and righteousness of Christ is credited to our account, and you adopt us as beloved sons and daughters, and that we, we are accepted by you. We're standing in your grace because of the work of Christ, we thank you that for most of the people in this room, that, that by your grace, the light shone and it penetrated our darkness and you, you made the scales fall from our eyes that we could see the Savior and trust him and love him, that you brought us from death to life. Now help us to go forth as a church with a focus on the glory of Christ and with a passion to share that good news with people in our community and people ultimately in the uttermost parts of the earth. May we be a church that is on mission, on purpose for you. As we just continue to um, reflect before the Lord for a moment, you know, I would ask you, maybe you're here today and you've got questions. You're really not certain about what the heart of Christianity is all about or really what it means to know God in a personal way. We would love to come alongside and just pray with you, uh, listen to you, and, and, and share with you. And so... Um, in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I'm going to be here, um, and uh, we'll be here, our pastors, we'll be here afterwards as well. We would love to minister to you at any, at any time. Um, maybe you're here today, and you would say, my heart's desire is that I, I want to link up with this body of believers. I want this to be my church family. And if that's the case, we want to invite you to go ahead and let that be known today as the Spirit leads, and to, and to step out so that our folks can, can begin to, to know you and, and meet you. 
And so we want to invite you to come. So, Father, we give you now this time of, of invitation. Would you work? Would you have your way in hearts and lives with stakes that need to be nailed down, with decisions that need to be made? Would you give people the grace to take those definitive steps right now? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.